and welcome aboard the Battleship Pretension. I am Tyler Smith. I am David Bax. And thank you for listening. David. Yeah. How you doing? Still got uh, a pretty heavy cough because it's still the same day. Yeah. From the uh, many episodes that you will be hearing or have heard. Yeah. Um, this was ill-advised. Uh, yeah, and uh, you have gotten not uh, less than your usual amount of sleep. Uh, yes. And today we have uh, a guest who is on even less sleep uh, than you, but at, at, at least seems to be healthy otherwise, mm-hmm. um, unless she's uh, <laughs> keeping a secret from us. Um, but let's get uh, uh, let's get right into well, let's get right into the plugs first, or the uh, advertisements. Oh, indeed, first, yes. uh, so we don't have to. Uh, yeah. Listener, how, how clearly would you like to hear David's uh, cough ravaged voice? Yeah. Do you want to hear both the high end wheeze <laughs> and the low end rattle? Yeah. Of my voice, then uh, if so, head over to tweakedaudio.com and get yourself some earbuds. They're mm-hmm. professional quality uh, earbuds yeah. that come in a variety of styles and colors. And if David you go, minor green, yeah, I got some blue ones. All right. Um, if you, I think blue's a great day to evening color. Is that what it is? Okay. I think that's why I like it. <laughs> it's a twilight type color. <laughs> so. But I'm saying I can I can work all day. In my blue tweaked audio right. earbuds and go straight out to the clubs. There you go. Um, <laughs> but if you head over to tweakedaudio.com, pick out one or more pairs uh, of tweakedaudio.com uh, earbuds or, or uh, wristwatches. They have some other uh, fun stuff there, too. Put an offer code pretension at checkout and you get 33% off of your uh, already reasonably priced earbuds. Yeah. So uh, now it goes from reasonably reasonably priced to like a just like a steal. You'd be stupid not to. You'd be an idiot not to do this. Moron. Shut yeah. up. <laughs> All right, so that's sweetaudio.com. <laughs> Offer code pretension at checkout. We we really we we wouldn't be advertising for them if we didn't support the product. Is that actually true? I don't know if that's actually true, but it is true that we do support yes, the product. Yes, we do actually. We're like actually big fans. <laughs> but okay, that out of the way, before she falls asleep, <laughs> we want to bring in our, our guest, uh, a return guest. She was on last June mm-hmm. and was also uh, kind enough to appear on uh, one of our live shows, which has never been podcasted, but probably will someday. At some point. Every time we talk about the live shows, I am in a different headspace about whether or not I'm going to put them up on the, <laughs> in the podcast feed. Um, but she's back to talk about some exciting developments uh, uh, since then in her experiences uh, at Sundance with a film that she co-wrote, right? Yeah. Called Smashed. So, uh, ladies and gentlemen, please welcome back to the program, Susan Burke. Hi. It's great to be back. <laughs> Thanks for coming back. Yeah, on, of course. Uh, about, what, two hours and 15 minutes sleep, something like that? I, I think like four hours oh, okay. sleep or something. Right. Yeah. Well, what am I? I don't yeah. know. Come on. That's plenty. We're gonna be yeah, sure. You, you can. <laughs> um, so, uh, well, first off, how have things been going since June for you? Um, Good. Uh... We obviously worked on Smashed quite a bit, yeah. um, shot that in the fall, and then um, found out pretty quickly after wrapping um, that got into Sundance, and um, and then so that was very exciting, and did people seem to like it, so, yeah, so I mean, that's I, good. I, I wasn't there, and our writer, Matt, didn't get to see it while he was, <laughs> while he was there, but everything that I have heard or read coming out of Sundance has been positive. About Smash, lots of uh, fun pictures in Entertainment Weekly of uh, Mary Elizabeth Winstead and Aaron Paul. Yeah, um, and Nick Offerman with no shirt. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and where did, uh, 
I want to find out more about the the film itself and kind of your impetus for for co-writing it. Mm-hmm. Um, where did that uh, Where did it come from? Like, what did it start with well, you? Or and I don't remember the the uh, co-writer director uh, James Ponsall. Okay. Well, let's talk first. Um, what is it about? There you go. For it is about. Um, a young married couple who live in Los Angeles, who live in like um, northeast Los Angeles, like Mount Washington area, and um, the the wife is a school teacher, and the husband is sort of a music blogger, like dude that doesn't have too much of a job, and, uh-huh. um, and they're both really big partiers, and uh, the wife Kate, played by Mary Elizabeth Winstead, um, amazingly uh, decides that. She needs to get sober, and so it's it's basically the story of how how getting sober affects a relationship, and it, I think more universally how you know when when you're in a relationship that's sort of based on a lifestyle, and then one of the, mm-hmm. the people in the relationship have a lifestyle change, how that affects the relationship. Mm-hmm. So um, it's it's a drama, but there's elements of comedy in it. Um, I imagine, I mean, you're a very funny person yourself. I would you. imagine as a co-writer, you would have <laughs> injected some comedy into what otherwise seems like a pretty bleak uh, affair. <laughs> and I think it's, uh, it, having not seen the film, but I, I was researching uh, the story and, and that sort of thing, and it, it reminded me very much of a film that I had seen, which was uh, Blake Edwards' uh, The Days of Wine and Roses. Yeah. With um, Jack Lemmon and... I don't remember. Lee Remick? I haven't, I haven't seen it. I actually I haven't either. I don't recall. But um, but it's very similar. It's a married couple who... Um, they love each other very, you know, very much, but um, they are both alcoholics and they want to try to get sober and one of them wants it a little more than the other and, it, you know, there's a frustrating dynamic. But the... There is comedy in it. First, I mean, it's Blake Edwards yeah. who did the Pink Panther, but also it's Jack Lemmon who can, you know, insert levity into almost anything. And what's what's interesting about the film is the comedy makes the drama so much more tragic uh-huh. um, because it's just like, oh, they're laughing so they don't cry. Um, and when I heard about Smashed, um, you know, it's, there's a lot of funny people in it, like, um, I mean, Nick Offerman and Megan Mullally yeah. and Mary Elizabeth Winstead. Like, I know them f- primarily from comedic things. And then Aaron Paul... I know, as many people do, primarily from Breaking Bad, yeah. where he still does very funny things on that show, and so, um, so obvi- I mean, obviously, the nature of of the content sort of dictates that it would be a drama. But like, how important was it that it have something of a balance of drama and comedy? Well, it was really important, and um, actually, James came to me with the idea. I'm very honored because he's a really, really talented guy. Like that, he that he wanted to work with me. And he sort of proposed the idea one day when I was driving him to the airport. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, God, I really want to write something with you. But I'm actually sober myself. And I didn't know if I really wanted to, you know, like I, I definitely avoid doing like sober comedy shows and stuff <laughs> like that. Like I don't want to be, uh, you know, known as that first, you know, or have that be my identity. And I also didn't want to make it too personal for me or do something that would make you know, sober people say like, that isn't right. That isn't how it is, you know? Mm. Um, but the more that we talked about it, you know, I decided, you know, I'd be crazy not to, to write something with them. And, um, and, and it just sort of came about and we didn't try to make it, um, funny, but 
comedy came through and mm-hmm. i mean it was a goal we definitely knew we didn't want to make some like super heavy hard to watch right. like thing and we also didn't want to glamorize it like i feel like so many movies uh about drugs and alcohol are it really like make it so cool and dark and it, we we didn't want that but we wanted to say like people drink because it's fun you know and mm-hmm. it is fun to be had drinking but for some people it doesn't work out you know and yeah, it is. Um, it is interesting how how much films about somebody trying to kind of break the shackles of drugs and alcohol or or any kind of addiction. It it turns into. I mean, it is a it is something of a noble struggle. It's somebody trying to better themselves, but they they do turn it into this brooding kind of thing where you you almost feel like the film is kind of kind of narrowing its eyes and being like, yeah, we all want them to get away from this, but it kind of does. He is kind of edgy and cool. Yeah, yeah. Like we, we want him to get sober, but not really because him being an addict, addict is what makes him interesting. And it's it kind of wants to have its cake and eat it too. Right. And well, and also, I think with a lot of movies dealing with that, um, I just kind of lost my train of thought. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> what? Um, movies dealing with drugs and alcohol as uh oh well they make the person who is the the alcoholic or or the drug addict in this case alcoholic um but like the other like someone that's that's not like us like and it's just very clear like you know I, i'm a big fan of uh train spotting but that's like a great example of like these people are not like us we don't uh-huh. watch this movie and say like ah oh, i've had that experience uh-huh. you know like yeah. that's totally me that's my friends you know but with smashed we wanted to make it so that and mary elizabeth winstead is such a she, we're really lucky to get her because she's such a talented woman, and she's also just so likable. Like she comes across as somebody that, you know, you would know, like your sister or your friend, or you know, a nice girl, not some like Ugh, that person, not a creepy, weird person that that does a lot of drugs <laughs> that you don't want to see in the daytime. There's a, a film that I uh, really love, and we have. Uh previously been taken to task by a listener for not having seen even though it's not gone with the wind or something <laughs> and that is uh the steve buscemi film trees lounge oh because i haven't seen because you hadn't seen it. i had seen it because i i watch movies but <laughs> um and what i it, it's a film that actually made me uncomfortable because it's about a guy who is an alcoholic but it made me uncomfortable because there was no real moralizing to it and that's what we've come that's what we've grown somewhat accustomed to right. Some films sort of wink at us and say, like, eh, that's why you're watching this. Whereas others are just like, oh, it's just – it just ruins this guy's life. Whereas this film, his life is not ruined. It just has caused him to make a series of bad decisions. But they're, they're not ru- – he hasn't ruined anything. Right. His life might be ruined in 10 years. But right now, it's just – his life isn't where it – where he wants it. And it's not where it, we all know it should be given, like, the intelligence of the character – and so because it is unwilling to to overdramatize it and and be kind of bombastic in its message i remember th- like that level of nuance when i first watched it was a while ago um i was just like what are you trying to say i mean it does ruin some people's lives and i and it's like yes but it didn't ruin this guy's life but that doesn't mean 
he's got it worked out. Like right. he needs it looks different for everybody. I think it's it's such a, a tricky it's such a tricky disease and and actually I haven't I haven't seen that. I'm gonna have to watch that. I actually haven't seen Days of Wine and Roses either mm-hmm. because immediately we started getting that comparison and I didn't want to see it, you know, right. until everything so I should watch it now. But um so uh in real life I think there are so many people that, that are, you know, maybe alcoholics and successful. And it doesn't really affect them. And then there's, you know, other people that immediately, you know, it, it ruins their lives. And they say, you know, alcoholism is the only self-diagnosed disease. And I, I really feel that way. And even with the, with the film, um, James and Mary and Aaron all, you know, were, came to it with a lot of understanding. And they all went to meetings, open meetings that they were allowed to go to and stuff and, and studied up on it. Um but, you know, it, looking at the film, like, Aaron Paul's character, I don't even know if he's an alcoholic, you know? Like, that's not really for me to say. And, like, at the Q&As, a couple times people were like, you know, why is he an alcoholic? Just straight up asking us. And we're like, we don't know. <laughs> like, that's, yeah, that's up for him to decide. That's uh, interesting. I mean, Tyler and I keep having to talk about other movies because neither of us has seen yeah, Smash. Of course. But, um... I'm going to talk about my movie. <laughs> uh... But yeah, I really like this idea that you keep coming to about whether or not, um, I mean, just not not defining a person either by their alcoholism. Or, I, mean, I didn't know until three minutes ago when you said it that you were sober uh, because you are not like, that's not like the box you fit in, like sober <laughs> person. It's not like vampire or werewolf. Right. It's like, there, there, are, there are more degrees to... Odd that you jump to those. But the, I mean, that's the, the equivalent. The, <laughs> there are so many rules about being a vampire that that is like, that has to be what defines you if you can't... You know, and don't even get me started on gremlins. <laughs> I'm also a vampire, oddly. <laughs> right. um, uh, no, I forgot where I, where I, where I was going Sorry. with that. But the yes, the uh, um, I, I, I I'm very very interested to see the film. I already was, but even more so now that you talk about not not defining a person solely by their alcoholism. Did you see Young Adult? I did see Young Adult. Yeah, I think that was a great one because it's only about it's. Maybe even more than halfway through the film before she says to her parents, like, I think I'm an alcoholic. And th- at that point, I went, oh, yeah, I'm yeah, pretty yeah. sure she is, even though I wasn't, like, <laughs> set out like that. You know, she was a person in, who's fairly successful in her own, own life, but clearly has these problems. And it's there there are so many other layers to who she is than just alcoholism. Yeah, it's something I liked about that <laughs> film, too, is there wasn't a big aha uh-huh moment you know it wasn't mm-hmm. like she well i don't want to give that film away either but <laughs> it, it, there wasn't some decision of like or, or it wasn't really clear to the audience of like did what decision did she make there mm-hmm. and like is she gonna go you know on, on a happier path or but probably not you yeah, know probably <laughs> that's, that's not. probably more realistic mm-hmm. there's a in in preparation for this i read some of the uh reviews online for the film and what they said about it made made me more interested. Of course, I was I already was partially because those types of movies I find fascinating because there's a really good opportunity for great acting and yeah. great characters, and um, and especially when you have younger actors playing that, like it's not unusual to see like forty five, fifty year old actors dealing with this finally, and whereas you don't run across like early thirties, late twenties, and so. Um, so I was interested already, and then the re- the reviews said something that I apologize. This this might sound like an insult to me. It is an asset, right? Which is 
this territory has been covered before. But with the with the right characters and with the right tone, it can feel new and smashed does. And that's something that I've said on the show before is that you know, a lot of film nerds say like I've seen this before. It's like, okay, well the question is is not have you seen it before because you probably have seen almost everything before right. in some way shape or form. The question then becomes have you seen it like this? And what does this bring to it? Are these characters strong enough that you feel like you know them? Because it's the first time it's happening for them. And and all of the reviews said that and not and not at all in a derogatory way. They said, This has been done before, but this is but this is great and it feels fresh and exciting and, and so when I read that because that is so often something that I say and something that I treasure is finding a new way to do something or a fresh way to do something. Um, it got me very, uh, very excited to see the film. Oh, yeah, I, I'm excited for you to see it, too. I, <laughs> and I, I was really excited um, when the reviews came out that, that it said that because, yeah, we knew going into it that the story's been told. But, mm. you know, we wanted to tell it in this in this way. And, like, for me um, personally, being uh, sober and being a woman, um, I got sober when I was 24. And that I don't think is as strange to people in like big cities and you know of our generation but when i go back home to wyoming or i go you know in uh-huh. smaller towns and stuff when i'm working in like <laughs> in the middle of america uh-huh. and i tell people like oh, i can't uh, i can go to the bar i'll go to the bar but when people are trying to buy me a drink and i'm like oh i got a ginger ale you know and like what's wrong with you like, i'm sober <laughs> you know and it's this oh were you were you like a terrible drug addict like well no you know <laughs> like i i'm an alcoholic like you know got sober and like people think that's that's really strange in some cases and and it's not it's it's actually pretty common but we don't see that it always is like again like the other thing like someone who's just you know old and terrible and has like lost their house and yeah. is out on the street you don't see it but there's you know the the face of of, of alcoholism like the face of many things <laughs> is is varied you know there's a i assume you've seen uh, fear and loathing in las vegas yes uh I really like that film, and one of the reasons that I like it, it for m- many of the reasons, many of the things that we've been talking about here, is that the, I mean, the character's behavior is absolutely monstrous. But one is a very successful lawyer, uh-huh. and one is a very successful journalist. And the, the, for the journalist, especially, you really feel like, well, it's because he does all this that he's as successful as he is, and that he found the voice that he did, and so. When I first saw it, because I was 16 when that movie came out, and so any drug or, or alcohol-related movie, I was used to, it's like, it ruined your life and blah, blah, blah. I don't mean to put it that way, but, like, I don't mean to be flip about it. But uh, that one, I remember being fascinated at the idea. It's like, these guys' lives, not only are they not ruined, but they are prospering. But look at who they are. Like, look at what they yeah. are. And look at how they act. Do you really... Do you really want to be that? It actually is a surprisingly cautionary tale, um, even though the the general tone of the film is fun and exciting. But then you see, then you see that scene with Ellen Barkin in the mm. diner mm. with the knife, and that's and of course that's when it's like, oh, okay, this has just jumped up a couple notches. But uh, that's when you see like the real reality of what these people can be. And uh, and not to imply that they always will, but for a film as 
off the wall as that, I feel like it takes a surprisingly nuanced <laughs> approach to the to the subject. Uh, now, I don't want to. We'll get back to it. I don't want to just talk about the uh, alcoholism and substance abuse. I, I, <laughs> Good. <laughs> I, yeah, I want more of um, your experience um, as a sort of. I mean, th- this is the first feature film that you've. Uh, uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, so that, and then the, um, and then the Sundance experience. But first, one when you were here, I mean, less than a year ago in in June, and. On the podcast, we didn't talk about Smash at all, even though it was in in the works. Right. Uh, afterwards, you told us a little bit, but even then, you were reticent to tell us too much because I think, uh, without saying anything in particular, there was a name that had been attached that fell through, and so you were uh, hesitant to jinx anything any, any yeah, further. Yeah. So, um, how did the? I mean, uh, I mean that that name that fell through was a great name, but you got an awesome cast here yeah uh how did that casting process go in the in the actual production process um (coughs) well i yeah i still can't believe the the cast that we got it's amazing aaron uh paul is who i actually imagined while writing it being a a big breaking bad fan and also a fan of his from big love too knowing that he can do different stuff and um and that you know that he just He's just the kind of guy that I kind of pictured. And uh-huh. so, you know, not thinking that he wouldn't be the actor. That's, like, who I was imagining when writing it. And, of course, when writing it, we thought, like, we'd make it for very, very small budget and, like, hire, you know, friends of friends or whatever. Uh-huh. Um, but, um, yeah, Mary had decided that she wanted to do smaller movies and um, do more, you know, meteor roles and stuff. And... She's been in a lot of awesome movies, but everything she's been in has been pretty big and um, a lot of genre stuff. So she had uh, told her agents that, and they set up a meeting uh, with our producers uh, at Super Crispy Entertainment, and they did that movie like crazy last year. Mm-hmm. So um, so they had a meeting with her and, um, uh, you know, told her about Smashed, and she actually did an audition tape, which was the most amazing i mean i haven't seen that many audition tapes but (laughs) but it was it was like one of those things that i could imagine like people seeing like 20 years from now and being like oh my god there it is (laughs) you know like it's just amazing and and it was kind of no question that we were going to cast her and then everything else kind of um just came into place after she was cast like since she's very much um the the lead in this movie and everything sort of needed to be cast around her like she was cast first and then Aaron and then um lucky enough to get Nick who is so good in this like he's he's amazing and um and Megan who's great and um Octavia Spencer which (laughs) is mind-blowing because like she just won an Oscar and she's the coolest nicest lady and um and uh and also Mary-Kate Place who uh, is one of my favorite character ah, actresses. More, more big love. Yeah, more big love. I was like, that's so crazy that two people from from Big Love, <laughs> my favorite show. <laughs> yeah, it's it's surprisingly uh, for fortuitous that like I mean Aaron Paul. I mean I think is already pretty well established. Yeah. Um, but um, as is Megan Mullally and Nick Offerman. But at the same time, like I feel like, and I feel like Nick Offerman and Octavia Spencer specifically, people knew who they were. But there's something about like the character of uh, Ron Swanson uh-huh. in Parks and Rec that has really taken off in the last year. Yeah. And then Octavia Spencer, you know, was uh, I did not see the help, but I hear that she's you know pretty much the best part yeah. of it, and having just won an Oscar. And so it's exci- it, you know it's 
it's exciting to know that the film already has something of a profile just from the Sundance and, uh, situation and, and then Aaron Paul, but that it has these feels condescending to say up and comers up about people that have been acting consistently <laughs> for 20 years, but people that are now getting like major recognition because I feel like that will, that will help the film, not necessarily with like purely distribution, but just as far as profile and awareness of it. Yeah. Um, have you, have you found, um, I guess, I guess, uh, the question is what more is going to happen with it? I mean, it did Sundance is it going to be like, yeah, like, when can we see it? Yeah. Um, I'm not sure. Uh, Sony Pictures uh, Classics bought it, and uh, they have the distribution rights. So okay. um, that is all still being worked out. But I, sometime this year, it'll be okay. worldwide okay. distribution too. So I know because Sony Pictures Classics also picked up the Raid. I think oh, around Sundance time, and that's already coming out. I mean, by the time this episode goes up, it'll be a few weeks from now. It might have already come out. You know, I think that they might have already picked it up, actually, when it was at Sundance. Did you see the raid at Sundance? No, I didn't. I, I... I did not see nearly as many things as I wanted to see. Uh, well, uh, should we get in? I want to get into your Sundance experience. Oh, had, you, sure. had you been before? No, no, I've never been before. And so were you there for the whole, like, ten days? I, yeah, I was there for the whole ten days. <laughs> um, um, my boyfriend and I, we actually stayed in Salt Lake because Park City is way too expensive <laughs> to stay in. Really? But, yeah. Um, next time I go, hopefully, I'll be able to stay in Park City. But, um, uh it was great. Uh, the, it was weird. The first like three or four days were just all sort of smashed related, and mm-hmm. I hadn't seen any other movies, and had done a bunch of press and like seen Smash several times, and the whole premiere and everything was great, but like very <clears throat> nerve wracking and scary, and then exciting, and then I was just like, dude, I want to see any movie but this movie. I never <laughs> want to see this movie again. And then unfortunately um, got to um, got to see some movies and. I was really excited because I got to see um, the documentary West of Memphis. And, oh, yeah. um, um That guy, Damien Eccles, was there oh, wow. at the theater. So, um, And that's directed by the woman who made uh, Deliver Us from Evil. Yeah, which yeah. A- Amy stuff. Berg. And, um, and she was there as well. And that, that was probably the most sort of uh, like special, special experience being there because we went up and saw that at the Sundance Institute, which I'd never been to. And it's just beautiful. And it's just like this, you know, amazing winter wonderland and then um that movie is so i love I, I love all those movies um but obviously they're extremely emotional and d- difficult to watch at parts and um and this one uh sort of lays out the whole story like for people that that aren't familiar with the west memphis three and so i was just crying for two and yeah. a half hours and then turn around and see uh Damien Eccles and, and his wife and <laughs> Amy Berg sitting there like behind me and just this surreal moment of, you know, watching those films and, and, and hoping and praying that those guys get out of jail and then right. being in Park City <laughs> and, and, and there's this guy behind me and just very weird, yeah. um, but great. And, the, and then later that night I saw a VHS, which was also really good and a completely different yeah. <laughs> experience. Yeah. I, now, which one is that? Yeah. Um, it is uh, a horror anthology, um, and it's it's got like oh, right. uh, Joe Swanberg, um, <laughs> who uh-huh. you know is more famous for like uh, mumblecore stuff, yeah. and um, gosh, who was Ty West um, did one, and um, Adam Weingart did one, and then um, oh, my favorite one is actually slipping my mind who who directed it. It was like 
uh, this this three director team directed one of them, but it's all it's all like found footage horror movies, but a different, a totally different take on found footage. Thankfully, uh-huh. um, anthology, and it's it's pretty great. It's pretty brutal though. Yeah. Um, which I, I guess there was a couple reports of people leaving the theater and puking. <laughs> um, but I'm, I'm a big horror fan, so I was excited to see that. And I was gonna see other horror movies, and then it. I don't know. It's just I, I was gonna end Sundance with seeing this movie called Excision, which was supposed to be like the most disgusting movie there. And my family was there, like my aunts and uncles, uh-huh. and like I just was like, you know what? I'm gonna sell my tickets because I don't want to. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to end. So you had this. family there with you I, the whole time? Or no, just, uh-huh. not the whole time. My um, I'm from Wyoming, so I'm mm-hmm. um, not not too far away, and um. And none of my family actually lives in Wyoming, but um, one of my brothers uh, came in from Portland, and um, uh, some of my aunts and uncles that live in Denver came in, and then my best friend from from growing up uh, and her mom, who was my teacher, uh, it was amazing. Like they all came, and they all came for the, the last screening, which was um, at the, at the Eccles Theater there, which is like the huge like thirteen thirteen hundred. Thirteen thousand seat theater, <laughs> thirteen hundred seat theater, and like so that was that was a really cool way to to end it, you know, to That's have awesome. friends and family all there. And if family would have been there the whole time, that would have been too <laughs> much to handle. <laughs> yeah, I've, I've I don't think I've ever really been to a film festival, but I'm uh, what you're talking about, like seeing the uh, this very touching documentary and yeah. then turning around and seeing this insanely violent thing although as you said not the most disgusting of the fest um, <laughs> which i like that any film has that degna- designation <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. like well which one is the uh, this one's the best no question but which one is the most disgusting and disturbing <laughs> right um there's an award right most disgusting in show <laughs> <laughs> and they just hold the award like there you go <laughs> now please get out um but yeah, just that idea of just such a jarring shift in tone, but just a celebration of all things film. It just uh, it seems counterintuitive that it's like, all right, I this this is a very disturbing documentary. I think I need a palate cleanser. Yeah, and I think this really violent, gory horror <laughs> film will do the trick. Uh, I'll go from real life horror to uh, fake horror. Um, I want to ask you. Uh, I guess less about because you've talked about Sundance, the movies you saw. But what's it like? I guess being, I guess I don't know what the word is like talent or having a thing in, in the festival. What sort of what sort of other than the screenings? What sort of stuff were you involved in? Um, Q and A's or things like that. Yeah, uh, and that was cool. Uh, Q and A's after after smashed, and um, we did uh, press junkets, which we, that was fun, but it was really weird because that was all like I've never done anything like that and it was all the films sort of have junkets at the same place on the same mm-hmm. day and all the different publicists are like setting things up and there's all these like uh like sort of staged bookshelves with leather couches and things that look very lodgy mm-hmm. all in this like one big place just these different little corners <laughs> that look like little lodges and then you just look <laughs> over and like you know ira glass is getting interviewed over <laughs> there and paul dano is getting interviewed over there and then there's sandwiches, and it's just, it's just really weird, um, but now, fun. Uh, now, how come Entertainment Weekly only had pictures of the cast? Did you guys not take pictures with Entertainment Weekly? I was so oh. bummed. I was slipping through Entertainment. I was like, <laughs> oh, maybe friend of the show. Yeah. Susan oh, Burgess I know. Be- oh. Yeah. Uh, you know, I mean, and that's that's something that it's weird 
because you know I act, but obviously not you know not not at the level that, that they act. But mm-hmm. um, going to to other like smaller film festivals as like an actor, and then going to this as a writer. I don't know which I prefer. I think being a writer because people are are nice to you, but um I don't know, I feel like they're not they're not judging your face as much and that's cool. <laughs> um I, I was I was bummed because uh, I could have gone to the like cast photo shoot thing and that was the first day that I was there. Um I think everyone else had gotten there the the day previous, but like, you know, Matt and I had just gotten in, and the premiere was that night, and they were like, well, do you want to come to the, the cast photos? And I was like, well, no, it's just going to be like the cast, you mm-hmm. know, like, why would, you know, I mean, I'll see them all later, and, you know, but I don't want to be like a weirdo hanging out. <laughs> and then um, I saw these pictures later where uh, James and, and Jonathan were in the photos with the cast, and they're these awesome photos, <laughs> and it turns out that's when they're giving away all the free stuff. Oh, so I was like, oh, man. Stuff. Like I could have gotten like you preempted my next question, yeah. which was going to be about free stuff. Yeah, that's I think uh, they give those to the movie stars <laughs> and not so much to writers. I mean, I got I got a few things, but I was really hoping to like get you know some new boots and a new coat. <laughs> <laughs> I had a question uh, that actually goes back into uh, sort of the process of making the film because um, you know you said that. Uh, the concept was James initially, and then he came to you saying, "Like, let's write this together." And I'm, I'm always fascinated with the notion of collaboration because if you talk to any two people that have collaborated, their process always seems to be different. And like, like I collaborate with David on this, right? And I hate him, it, yeah. And so, like, but we we managed to make it work, and so like. How did the... Well, we mostly facilitate uh, our collaboration through passive-aggressive emails. Yeah, oh. That's you know, most <laughs> of how our work gets done. And tweets that make no sense to anybody. <laughs> but, um, like, how did uh, how did you and James go about actually uh, writing? And I'm sorry that we I've gotten away from, from Sundance, but it was a question that uh, occurred to me. Because it's his idea, right. and he's directing it. Does that mean that, like, if you guys disagree on, like, the direction of a character, like, does he have the last word or? No, I mean, it was, it was, it's basically his idea in a very vague sense. Like, I don't want to take that away from that. Then it became my idea or something. But it was he, he, you know, wanted to tell a story about, about alcoholism and make it, you know, a a comedy. Mm -hmm. And, and then he, he mentioned it to me. And then from there, we, we developed it together. And the process was, I think really unusual and and really great. I had a great time, and uh, we basically we talked a lot about it, and we sort of created this world of Kate and Charlie, and and you know thought a lot about it, and then outlined it, and then James was actually living in Virginia at the time because his his now wife, but then girlfriend um, was living there, so he was back and forth, but a lot of what of our writing actually took place, um, you know, 2,000, is it 2,000 miles from, I don't know, uh, the East Coast? Might be closer to 3,000. So, but yes, in different time zones and different parts of the country. And, um, and we basically broke it down where, you know, we knew, we knew what was going to happen. We had outlined everything, but, you know, it'd be like, okay, I'm going to write this, you write this, I'm going to write this. And there were certain uh, scenes and characters that, that only I wrote and certain scenes and characters that only he wrote. 
But it, when uh, when our first draft was together, it was actually really cohesive, even though it had all been sort of cut and paste in there. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, from there, then we sort of both um, worked on um, the next the next drafts, the whole thing. But it was a really great process. And he's, I mean, he's just really cool and he's extremely smart and and funny and easy to talk to. And like, so his notes were never hard to take. And I don't think, you know, my notes to him were ever, you know, hard to take. And mm-hmm. like, we, I think just got it. And that was probably just, um, we had really good communication to begin with being friends, but from, from the ride to the airport where it was mentioned to the first day of production, how, how much time? Oh, a while, like, uh, maybe like two years. Mm-hmm. Um, cause we had, you know, we, we talked a lot about it before ever writing it and then wrote it. And then, um, it was it was about a year from uh, from actually having it written to going into production, but then from there everything was extremely fast. So so it was weird because on my end it was a really slow process. But <laughs> I have a a question that may or may not be stupid. I don't know yet. Um, because I'll, I I'll tell you. I know you will. <laughs> um, I can always count on you to just be very uh, discouraging. The um, because I had heard that before when it comes to collaboration that uh, there are some characters that are sort of your characters and then some that are uh, the collaborators. And I always wanted to – because I, I always wanted to know how does that actually work? Like if these char- – there's a scene where these characters are talking to one another and James is across the country. Right, right, right. How do you make that work? Well, it was never – it was more like initially like I wrote – all the AA scenes because I okay. had more of an experience with that. And so um, the scenes with the sponsor and stuff. And then later, after the sort of first draft was written, we both, you know, but it was more, we, we would both write on, on those scenes. But it was more just to get the the skeleton out. Okay. It was like who sort of had more of an experience with, with that, you okay, know? Okay, I see. Or, you know, just if, if we just sort of liked something more than the other. Like if we... Okay had like a fondness for a character you know mm-hmm. <laughs> just like i want to write these scenes so so it's not like a dialogue breakdown no no it's just like okay bob would say this all right well i think carol would say this all right bob would respond with this we're literally i am in as characters <laughs> <laughs> i did have that thought I'm just like all right let's cut and paste script done <laughs> yeah <laughs> no it was i mean even though even though it was a lot of like you know working from from separate locations it um we we then sort of went in and, and worked on stuff together a lot yeah so are you are you guys gonna gonna work together in the um, future uh, i don't know uh, i'm i'm sure probably yeah but we don't we don't have anything um we're not working on anything right now currently well i mean there is that uh i mean yeah together you mean together okay. yes individually yes. i mean i know you had that uh that late night shoot for a commercial. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> yes. So, uh, but w- uh, what else is uh, coming up for you? Um, I don't know. I mean, I'm I'm writing uh, a a bunch of stuff, uh-huh. and hopefully, it'll it'll turn into more movies. And <laughs> <laughs> now you're writing a bunch of stuff. Uh, you're writing. Di- like, are they all uh, like features, or are they just separate, just different kinds of uh, projects? Um, I'm I'm working on one feature right now, and okay. then um, y- you know, different different projects that hopefully will get me hired on other things. Because I uh, I've known uh, people that uh, they've got like you know the 
the phrase, like a lot of irons in the fire, and they're doing like I had a friend who was working with someone on one script, writing his own, working on a, re- a web series with somebody, and uh, and I was always fascinated because it's just like you're creating three completely separate things. How do these? How do the? How do you not mix up the tones? Because after a while, yeah. I just if you're really like throwing yourself into all three. After a while, it's just like, all right, this revolutionary uh, war film, I think, is going to veer into my uh, French romantic comedy type. Thing. Right, right. But, uh, but yeah. So, but you're able to keep it separate because uh, at the moment it's one feature and, and other things as well. Yeah, I mean, it's it's one. I'm I'm working on a a feature and I'm pretty pretty early on with it, but it's a, a very broad comedy, science fiction ish time travel. Thing. So <laughs> sounds like you're really on board with this. Really <laughs> I'm trying to, to describe it uh, without right without like being derivative of other movies or right. you know um, yeah it's but it's a, it's a it's a it's a comedy so and like a total comedy. Uh, you, talk, you you mentioned when you were talking about VHS that you're a big horror fan and you're and gonna you're gonna write any horror? Hopefully, yeah. yeah. Um, that that's something that I that I really want to do and. Um, I don't know. Maybe the next time that I talk to you guys, I'll have I'll have news about that. But <laughs> so what? Um, what recent horror movies did you like? Did you see the Woman in Black? I haven't. I've seen that play actually. Really? Mm-hmm. Where did you see it? Yeah, in I London? saw it in London. Yeah. I I want to go back to London just to see it because it, I've heard it's it was great. Worth, it's worth the trip. It's really it's a really scary play, and uh, I I want to see the movie, but I don't know because I I love the play. That sounds so snobby. Like I love the no, play, but I, I saw the movie. It's it's only okay. It's not yeah. not great. It's PG thirteen horror movies, <laughs> man, and it's not. I don't think a horror movie has to have a lot of you know violence or or gore to be good. It's just bizarre that they can't seem to make a good PG-13 right. horror movie. Like, but there's um, uh, a movie that's, uh, I, I don't know if it's quite a horror movie, but uh, Joyride with Steve Zahn and Paul Walker. I don't know if you ever saw that one. Oh, no. That's rated R, right? That's but that, that was gonna, Steve Zahn on the commentary track talks about the only reason the movie's rated R, because it's not a particularly violent movie, right. is because when they're scared, they all go, oh, fuck. Right, but right. he's like, that's what you say when someone's chasing you through a yeah, yeah, yeah. semi. You don't say, oh, gosh darn. Yeah. <laughs> the uh, there is I mean I was trying to think of examples of like good PG-13 movies and then I realized that many of the ones I'm thinking of probably could fit in they probably fit more into a different genre like I'm a big fan of the movie The Others oh with yeah Nicole Kidman yeah. and I guess that's a horror movie but when you it's more of a like supernatural thriller right. than a suspense thing so. I, know, I think that's a horror movie Poltergeist is PG there are some good yeah, ones. Yeah, that's a good one. Yeah. But that was pre-PG-13, I think, right? That, yeah, that, yeah. that would have been PG-13, I think. Yeah, that scene where a tree eats a child, I think that probably would have... Right, or when a guy peels his own face off. <laughs> There's that. Um, and just that terrible steak. Uh, yeah. You mentioned uh, Ty West. Did you see The Innkeepers? Yeah, Is it yeah. Great? Isn't it's it great? great. Yeah, I, I, I loved it. it. You didn't see it, right? I didn't see it, yeah. Uh, it's, it, it's, it's fantastic. And I'm not just saying that because friend, friend of the, the show, show. Uh, Pat Healy. Yeah, did you Pat see compliance awesome. at Sundance? No, and I I really wanted to because um, I'm friends with Pat as well, and mm. I I think he's great. And you know, I didn't know anything about it until after it had premiered and all the kind of chaos happened at yeah. the the Q and A, and then you know immediately uh, Twitter was blowing up about it and was like, whoa, what's going on with this? And then and then we couldn't get tickets. Right. Um, so and they their last screening was pretty early it was like the thursday and you know the festival ended sunday so 
there there wasn't as many opportunities to see it. So hopefully get to see it. Yeah, well, we'll all get to see it because it it got distributed. Yeah, but. yeah, it, that more than anything. And I don't I don't usually follow like uh, film festival buzz, but with that one, you really couldn't help it because because yeah. you know on Twitter, just various people just like. Hey, read this article. Read this. Read this. And it's just like this sounds really. Hey, Pat's it. Pat's in this. I wonder what this is. Oh my gosh! And and part of me like I wish I had seen the film. I wish I was in the Q and A so that I could witness all of it because it, it it fascinates me based purely on what I've heard about the film. And I unfortunately I've heard probably too much about it. Right. And now I think some of it's probably spoiled for me. Yeah. Yeah. Um, because I would read an article about the Q&A and then say, this person said this in reference to this part of the film. Like, oh, oh. Well, that happens. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's like, all right, something to look forward to slash dread. And then um, – but either, either way – and admittedly, like the articles were really condensed. But part of me is like, how does anybody get that out of, out of this? Like how does anybody say that like it's exploitative uh, of like women or based – purely on the context that they'd put the scene in because like that doesn't sound exploitative no. at all quite quite the opposite i mean you might say like it sort of victimizes them a little bit but it's purely sympathetic to the character and then of course there's this weird thing that i had heard about where because w- one of the characters uh you know a young woman winds up being naked in the film yeah. and during the q a woman is there and then a couple of people in the audience say, "Like you have a hot, you have a great body." It's unbelievable. I, I, I can't imagine. <laughs> I can't imagine. I I can't imagine uh, what the fuck was going on in those people's <laughs> heads, if anything. Like, and especially the context that that she was yeah. naked. I mean, you don't say that to someone in any context ever. Yeah. It's really rude. Um, I'll throw that. I'll throw it out there to my wife. From time to time. <laughs> right, your yeah. wife, but yeah, as a stranger um, at a Q and A, never really appropriate. Like even if the their movie is overtly sexual and sexy, you know, yeah. instead of horrifying, like that's like going to you know Schindler's List or something and being like, <laughs> right. "There's a lot of nudity," you know, like uh, the story I uh, like to tell when I was maybe in middle school. Um, and I needed a way, a way you know, it's pre-internet. I needed a way to see a Clockwork Orange, uh-huh. and I found out that I got a kid I knew, his parents had a copy on VHS, and I said, "Oh, can I borrow it?" And he's like, "Yeah, this wasn't like a." He wasn't into the same movies I was in, but he had watched it. I said, "Is it good?" And he goes, "Oh yeah," and then makes this symbol of like, <laughs> "There's a lot of breasts in it," <laughs> and. Uh, uh, and, and then I watched it and realized what a what a weirdo he was. Yeah, total. That's uh, and that's a very like a mentality of like a thirteen year old, like someone <laughs> right. that Take isn't able. Yeah, no context at all. Yeah. Just like I see boobs. <laughs> all right, <laughs> so weird. That was vaguely Yogi Berra, but that's fine. <laughs> um, yeah, the only <coughs> the only thing I can think of is uh, for w- this doesn't excuse it, and I'm purely hypothesizing. The only reason I can think of that they might have said that is if the film made them so uncomfortable yeah. that they had to retreat to anything. But even then, why say it? I, I just – I don't understand it. I I totally don't understand it. Like other than 
they were extremely uncomfortable and maybe on some kind of drugs or something, you know, and I think they were like pretty wasted. They should have smashed, I think. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, which, you know, the, the, the context of the festival, people, you know, drinking all over the place. I was actually concerned that people were going to see that and be like, those assholes making a movie. <laughs> think of this preachy movie. I don't think it's preachy. This movie was a real bummer. Yeah. There was, I, I read a lot of that, um, though people were like, Saying that it it called in their own uh, behavior as a question, which is maybe, um, maybe good, especially during that sort of yeah. Party. What was that? Did you go to a lot of parties? Or are you? No, I mean, not and not. Just, the parties are just lame. Um, <laughs> I went. I went to a couple like that were just sort of like people's parties, you know, there, and those were cool. But um, yeah, like the actual like Sundance parties that that I went to and you know they just felt a lot like parties in West Hollywood and mm-hmm. and it was just <laughs> ended up talking to like the three people I knew there anyway right. so it was just like you know I don't, I don't really see the point of this but maybe it's cool if you want to see celebrities <laughs> Uh, well, I didn't see any at parties. You didn't? Mm. Yeah, I was going to ask you. Michael Fassbender apparently came to Smash, though. Awesome. Yeah. You know what? Perhaps, watch this, David. Perhaps you didn't see any celebrities because you were the celebrity. <laughs> <laughs> about that. What? Like in a poker game. If you can't tell who the sucker is, it's you. <laughs> uh, well, um, that, yeah, you, you are an up-and-coming celebrity, which is why we're hitching our wagon to your star. <laughs> and we hope, to, we hope to have you uh, back in the, in the, in the months and, and time to come to talk more about uh, Smash and its trajectory toward becoming the highest-grossing highest film of 2012. Is, <laughs> is this it? Is this the, the well, end? Of I, the I was going to wrap up. Is oh, it? man. Do you have more to say? By all means. Um. No, can I say one? We were closing in an hour, so I was about smashed. Is um, that it is the third best movie about alcoholism, uh, behind The Shining and the original Arthur. (laughs) (laughs) I've never seen Arthur. (laughs) It's not true, actually. I'm sure there's many other movies that are better. Edit that uh, out. We named Days of Wine and Roses. I like leaving Las Vegas myself. Oh, I do too. It's but it's a bummer. Arthur is a lot more I was going to say, this an- another one that really brings in the, the comedy. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then this one, this is a film that features alcoholism, but isn't really about it. And it's The Thin Man oh, from 1935, yeah. where our hero uh, has a martini in his hand at all times as he's solving murders. Right. <laughs> and just... Uh, and it's it's so much fun. You're just like, man, that's classy. I bet I wish I wish I drank more martinis. Didn't everyone was drunk until like 1970? Like, <laughs> right. yeah. If you watch Mad Men, that's completely yeah. historically accurate. Like everyone, yeah. I don't know how people lived longer than like 40. Yeah, I, like sometimes I think uh, I'll be at my job, my my day job, my office job, and be thinking like, there was a time that people worked eight hours a day in an office before the internet. What did they actually just work all day? And no, they were drunk. Yeah, that's go. what it yeah. was. Yeah. So you're saying the internet is 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 our alcohol, David? Yeah, it's it's the substance I depend on to get through my work day. I hear you. <laughs> um, did you you mentioned uh, The Shining? And uh, did you ever see the miniseries of The Shining? Oh yeah, uh, I actually liked that quite a bit. I liked it. I think it. I mean, obviously, I'm a huge Stanley Kubrick fan. Which mm-hmm. ah, I'm so jealous that. Um, 
that you're going to be meeting with the guy that, that directed that movie um, later today. <laughs> that's awesome. See, that's why you want to extend the episode. You want to cross paths yeah, with Rodney Ashford. Um, no, no. Um, we can stretch this out like 50 <laughs> minutes. <laughs> I just don't have anywhere to go. I'm homeless. Uh, no, but yes, I... I have seen that miniseries, and and it's it's good, but it's like, why would you do that? Like when you already have such a good movie. Well, I think the reason because it's yeah, the movie's great, but it changes a lot of stuff from the book. So I yeah. think the miniseries was made to be more faithful to the book. And of course, there are things in the book that are in the miniseries, such as the moving topiaries that mm-hmm. would have been in 1980 Impossible. pretty difficult to, yeah. to well, do. They look pretty cheesy in the tea. With they, those yeah. yeah, they do too. actually. Um, but uh, also, I think, I mean, I watched the, uh, I think we both watched on the miniseries, the Stephen King commentary, and he talked about as much as he respected the craft of the, the Kubrick version, it didn't really overtly tackle, as you're talking about, the alcoholism. Right. I mean, that's part of it, but it's not at all the big part. When people, this is going to sound really negative. Go Go ahead. When most people talk about Kubrick's The Shining, they don't talk about it as an examination of alcoholism. I would say that creative people who like to really interpret things and kind of delve deeper into things, I think they see, oh, there there right. it is. It's right there. Um, and But there's enough there. I mean, there's, you know, the uh, rivers of blood and that sort of thing. And that I feel like that meaning can get lost and maybe and i think that's probably fine but i know that stephen king felt like that it wasn't overt enough and he really in the book he really wanted it to be not necessarily an indictment but like a very overt examination of alcoholism and so i think that's why he did the miniseries and i mean it's i mean it's all over the place like they really play it up how can you get any more overt than saying when you're drunk there's rivers of blood like And weird naked ladies in, in uh-huh. bathtubs like that. That's what happens. When and you I get always, drunk. I always thought that was actually a pretty good. Um, Let me ask you: What did you think of that weird naked blood-covered lady's body? Did you think she had a good body? If I would have seen her right afterwards, I would have right. been like, like "Yeah, would damn you girl." <laughs> I like the idea of, of Cooper being like, "And cut." By the way, that's a nice body. <laughs> um, but uh, and I actually think that from a from a purely metaphorical standpoint. I think that scene is very solid where like Nicholson sees this very alluring, yeah. very attractive woman. He comes in and like kisses her and embraces her. And I think when he pulls back, it's like a corpse. Right. And it's this idea of like going into something that seems very alluring, very fun. And then you see what the actual reality is. Yeah. And I mean, that seems very much like a metaphor for addiction of any kind. Yeah. Um, not that it will necessarily go that way, but for this character, it certainly did. I mean, I like that. I, I always thought that it was a movie about alcoholism, and I've never, I've never read the book. But that's just always, you know, since the first time seeing that, as you know, probably too young to see that uh, <laughs> when I saw it. But saw it on like Denver's Two in uh, in in Wyoming, like the channel that would play. You know, movies like The Shining on a Sunday afternoon uh-huh. in the middle, like <laughs> 2 p.m. And, you know, my mom's upstairs and doesn't know that I'm uh-huh. watching it. And it cuts out, you know, some of it, but it's still uh, a pretty horrifying movie for a kid to watch. Yeah, in, uh, in the interest of full disclosure, we mentioned uh, the, uh, the 13-year-old boy. 
Uh, I think I first saw The Shining when I was 12. Uh-huh. And so, yes, that the scene of that woman in the hotel room, like, <laughs> part of me is like, wow, that's really, that's really nice. Oh, no! Yeah, <laughs> you yeah. ruined it for me. It's done now. It's like, all right, never mind. But I didn't return to it. I didn't be like, okay, well, I'll just stop it before she turns into the corpse, the walking corpse. But, uh, yeah, so. You know, so I think Stanley Kubrick, all his movies, because uh, I, I saw Clockwork Orange when I was way too young to see it. Mm-hmm. And and I just didn't get it at all. Like, I didn't know what was happening. And I was like, well, this movie's weird. And then I saw it a little later when I was a teenager and was like, oh, this movie's terrible. You know, it's like disgusting. And then saw it a little later and was like, oh, this is the most awesome movie ever. And then and now I think it's like just an amazing sci-fi comedy you know like <laughs> it's it it, pretty funny yeah. there's so much comedy in it that you know the first four times watching it at different periods of my life i was like this movie's horrifying and great and scary and gross and now i'm like oh it's really fun i don't know if i'm just very jaded now or what <laughs> but the shining is sort of the same way like i like didn't think it was scary because i don't think i got why it was scary uh-huh. and then i thought it was the scariest movie ever and then i just thought it was weird and uh-huh. now i think it's just beautiful and great you know mm. It's that comedy thing, uh, we're getting off topic, whatever the topic was here, but I rewatched uh, There Will Be Blood last night. That's a funny movie. And that gets funnier every time you watch it. When he uh, when he goes to see William Bandy and sees his grandson instead and then like says, well, tell me back in a week. And then there's another shot where he goes past the next window and like peers in the window just to make sure the old man's not there. And the look on his face is hilariously like villainous. He's so over the top that it, it, it's very funny. And of course, the whole like him... Uh, the like baptism type scene. I've abandoned my boy. He's like, do so you, good. And he's like, do you accept Jesus? Yes, I do. But <laughs> uh. well, that character is so. Daniel Day Lewis is such a genius because his characters are so goofy uh-huh. that I mean they're almost like too ridiculous and too broad. But then he's so good and uh-huh. he just like stays in character that it just it goes like the other direction and it's just amazing. Yeah, and I know that some people said that his his performance is like just way too broad. And I was like. Maybe, but it's also it's you can't be broad and specific at the same time, and I think his is specific. Yeah, and he is specifically playing a crazy person. Maybe not literally crazy, but just somebody who is just totally misanthropic, and then is given almost unlimited resources. Yeah, yeah and people don't like talking about the last scene, the "I drink your milkshake" thing being over, being over the top. There's a 16 year gap where yeah. he's got, gotten continuously crazy between yeah. the last time you've seen him. And that scene, yeah. uh, I, I think that's it's earned his uh, his milkshake rant. Yeah, yeah. I I mean, I, I one of the reasons that I love um, there will be blood, and where I don't I do not want to get into this tangent because uh, I've been for some reason lately I find myself frustrated with some attitudes about when a movie is about a wealthy character and has the audacity. To have sympathy for them, right? <laughs> um, like I was, I was watching this. We're recording this not long after the Oscars, and uh, I saw a little video about uh, about the various nominees, and someone talked about uh, the Descendants, so and good. it said, and it said like this is it's like this is about a, an incredibly wealthy guy who 
you know, whose wife goes into a coma after like falling off her jet ski. No, she was water skiing. You know, yeah. Water skiing behind her boat. And it's just like well, it very specifically wasn't her boat. Yes, yeah. talked well, about he wouldn't her buy her a boat. Yeah. But what I, just like the idea is she's she's engaging in this luxurious activity, and then something bad happens, and so and the guy basically put it out there like, why would I have sympathy for that? And she's like, because it's a human being. Yeah. yeah, like this is a man who realizes he's going to lose his wife, only to find out that he already lost her, and just like and people like they've said about ordinary people. They said it. They now, now Daniel Plainview is something of a villain, but I would say like if you look at the tragedy uh, that well, not unlike Charles Foster Kane or a Norman De- Norma Desmond, like their wealth has actually exacerbated a problem, and they are no longer accountable to other people, and now they are just monsters, and that is a tragedy. That is a that's a sad thing and it's something we should mourn but people are like well they've got money so fuck them well i think that this actually attaches to um what we were talking about way earlier with like uh fear and loathing in las vegas and just the argument that like money and success is not happiness Mm -hmm. and i think that as as people that is a lesson that we should know (laughs) and like that's been you know kind of a, a really early life lesson for most people, but it still is like, well, no, but they're okay. They got a house. Like, they're, yeah. what's, what, they got it all together. Like, it, and just like judging, you know, your insides with other people's outsides and stuff. Like, that, it's total bullshit. And like, I think The Descendants was the best movie of last year, hands down. Like, yeah. to, to me, I mean, because I think it, it did that. It, you know, I cried a lot. And then it also just had amazing laugh lines and the performances were great. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I do go into things sometimes a little bit resentful of, like, stories about, like, rich people or, mm-hmm. you know, when, like, when I meet people that are, like, you know, filmmakers or whatever. And it's just like, oh, oh how'd you get started? And it's like, well, my parents gave me $100,000. And it's just <laughs> like, oh. <laughs> like, yeah. You know. So, I mean, I'm not, you know, totally sympathetic to people who have money. But, like, really, yeah. you know, like, money is not... Yeah, but I think the reason that that's a hard lesson for us to learn is because so many of the movies that are about that are actually pretty two-faced, yeah. I think. I mean, you have real auteurs like Paul Thomas Anderson or, or Alexander Payne talking about it in, in in better ways. But all the like romantic comedies where someone chooses love over money, but then it always seems to end like work out well or like right, they right. still have their awesome loft apartment. Like it's Yeah, love – in this case, love does not necessarily mean horrible poverty. It right. means <laughs> – Middle class, <laughs> right? Right. Did you did you ever see that movie um, uh, with Jennifer Aniston, like Friends with Money? I didn't see I that. I think it's that. Oh God, that movie was the worst. <laughs> can I can I totally spoil yeah, the movie? Yeah, sure. So it's like she is some yuppie, and all her friends are like super yuppies, and then she she isn't as rich as they are, and then she like loses her job, or maybe she's not rich, but all her friends from college are rich, and they all married rich guys, and she ends up like losing her job and has to become a maid. Hanging around all these rich friends, which to me is a pretty interesting premise, you know, especially mm-hmm. living in Los Angeles. Like, there's times where it's like friends with a ton of money and friends who are like practically homeless, you mm-hmm. know, and it's there's it's a weird world. But so she hangs out with all these rich people. So I don't know. She like becomes a maid, and by the end of the movie, she meets this guy who's like not who's like not attractive. He's like the Jack Black type, you mm-hmm. know, guy, and. And decides she really likes him, even though he's like quirky and weird and whatever. Mm-hmm. And then he's like, "Oh, you should probably know I'm extremely rich." And then it's like, 
ka-ching. Like, so, like, it basically, <laughs> the moral of the story is, like, go ahead and fall for a fatty because he's probably rich. Like, and it's supposed to be this, like, pro-women movie, and it's just like, what? Like, it was, it was very uh, offensive that, to that's me. that's a Nicole Holofcener film? Did she direct that? Who did um, Please Give and I think so. Uh, I think so, Lovely yeah. The, and, and I don't want to, when I'm saying this, I don't want to give the impression that, like, that I'm pro-rich characters and I give them the pass. Because I give them a pass because, like, when I watch stuff like, for example, Sex and the City uh, or Entourage, like, there's a difference between rich people, ha- like, rich characters having the same problems we all do and rich characters having problems that rich people have. Right. And only rich people have. Like, uh, like... The, like Vinny Chase and Entourage, like I might not get this role, and it's like, well, I understand that this is important to you, and I will, I will go with you as far as that goes. And you want to do something as a real artist, you want to be taken seriously. I'll go with you with that. But just like, but then when the when the problem is solved with more money and uh-huh. right money f- or fame, then it's just like, okay, well, it would appear that the same thing that got you into this trouble will definitely get you out of it. Like that's different than say reversal of fortune where these incredibly rich people are completely miserable in their marriage. Mm-hmm. That is a problem that everybody can have. Yeah. And money has not fixed it for them. There was a recent movie that was pretty well liked and maybe, I don't know if you, I don't think you saw, maybe you liked it. Tiny furniture. Uh, I don't know if you saw that. Uh, I, um, I had some friends in that. Yeah. Okay. Well, I was going to say I didn't like it that much. And yeah. That was good. Uh, what's it? <laughs> I liked it. <laughs> Partially because of, uh, actually mostly because of these, I mean, it's it's uh, about uh, a woman who's just graduated college and then has this, like, sort of wandering time of, like, what am I going to do with my life? And she's kind of it, it's just existential and lost. And it's like, you only have that, the luxury to spend this summer being lost and kind of working a job but then quitting and, like, doing whatever you want because your family yeah. has money. Like, I... I didn't have. The, I already had practically a full time job by the time I graduated college because I needed it for rent during college, and it just uh, there was uh, that that disconnect did keep me as funny as Tiny Furniture is at times. It did keep me from really enjoying the film. No, yeah, I can see that. That's what keeps me from really enjoying anyone I meet in New York. <laughs> just like <laughs> well uh, on that positive note yeah. and if it's okay with you Susan I'm gonna yeah. start I don't think we have any listeners in New York it should be fine <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm gonna start wrapping up um, and we will definitely ho- hope to have you back in the, yeah, in the months you. to come to talk more about Smashed and, and horror movies and rich people and all, all, all the stuff um, I'm sorry that I so. alienated the entire city of New York <laughs> So you can, uh, the listeners, you you can find us at uh, battleshippretension.com and read all sorts of uh, reviews there of upcoming theatrical and home video releases and other uh, uh, other fun uh, articles at battleshippretension.com. Email us, uh, david at battleshippretension.com or tyler at battleshippretension.com. Follow me, David, on Twitter at The Pretension. Follow Tyler at More Lessons, which is the official Twitter of his other, his other podcast, More Than One Lesson, which is at morethanonelesson.com. And my other podcast is the weekly television review show previously on which is at previously on show.com susan where can people find you and more information about smashed on the internet um they can find me on twitter at uh that at that susan burke and my website is that susan com. and smashed um i don't know just google it <laughs> Sm- smashed 
and then say like Sundance 2012 because there's another movie called Smash that uh-huh. if you Google Smash will come up and it looks just terrible. It's like about <laughs> it's shot on red camera. I know that because that's like the first thing it says. And it's about uh, like rockers in 1992 in Chicago. And uh, that is not my movie. It's uh, is it about uh, 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 the uh, is it about Urge Overkill? I think so. I mean, it might be it might be a great movie and I'm just being a total asshole because it has the same name. I'm embarrassed that it took me 30 <laughs> seconds to think of an early 90s Chicago rock rock outfit. I'm embarrassed that I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> you know Urge Overkill, though. No, I don't. They did the cover of Girl, You'll Be a Woman Soon that's in Pulp Fiction. Ah, got it. All right. All right. That's a good, that's a good song. It is that's a good, good song. song. Urge Overkill was a good band. Um, so, uh, thanks for joining us, Susan. And Thank you. Thank you, everybody, for listening. We'll get you next time. Bye. Bye.